I believe health is the greatest form of wealth we have, which is why I'm so excited to be partnered with Brother in Arms. Brother in Arms is a wellness brand dedicated to working with veterans, first responders, and anyone on the front line. Through their education, support, and premium CBD products, they help alleviate and restore the lives of those that have been affected by physical and mental trauma. Learn about the life-changing benefits and power of CBD. Join their community today. Hit the link below. I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Elizabeth Marshall. Liz went from being broke, abusing drugs and a felon to a fitness cover model, businesswoman and now founding investor in the brand Brothers in Arms. Watch this interview as Elizabeth reveals how trauma helped her become a successful, driven woman what it takes to become a cover model, and how the past does not define who we are today. Elizabeth, for my audience, I, I, please can you tell me a little bit more about who you are and what you do now? Uh, well, uh, who I am doesn't really seem to change too much depending on what I'm doing, but right now uh, I am involved with Brothers in Arms CBD uh, as far as the business aspect of my existence is concerned, uh, and we we try to provide alternative medicine and education to veterans and first responders and the heroes that do what, you know, that keep us all safe and do what so many of us won't do, um, and I, uh, I had a heck of a, a year last year uh, getting published on magazine covers. I think I did four covers last year. Wow. wow. I, 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 I want to definitely delve down there. <laughs> yeah, I, I was 36 years old. Uh, I'm 37 now, and I did uh, four covers last year. So between that, uh, that's really kind of the bulk of what I've been doing lately is is modeling and, um, and this business, this particular business venture involving uh, alternative medicine. Well, Elizabeth, I know you're a massive inspiration to women out there, what with your fitness modeling and your, your businesses and the various businesses you invest in. Um, but tell me a bit more about your journey and how you got to that point. I was born, uh, I was born in Alabama. My mother's from Texas and my father's from North Dakota. So none of us are from Alabama, but they just happened to be working there when I was born. And I spent my first seven years there. My dad was transferred to the Houston area when I was seven. So I've been here ever since, uh, just all sorts of different spots around town and the Houston area is rather big. So that can be, one place can be an hour away from another place. Um, but, uh, we moved here when I was seven. Um, and when I was a little kid, I was always, I mean, life was, life was great. I couldn't have asked for a better mother, you know, a better set of parents really. Um, and I was good at everything when I was a little kid. Uh, I was in gifted classes, all the leads in school plays, teachers loved me, lots of friends. Um, and around fourth grade, uh, you know, all that was still going on. But I remember, you know, I didn't really so much notice it while it was happening. But now in hindsight, um, I, I started to have like problems emotionally. Um, and I was too young to realize that anything was wrong. But I remember um, 
you know, coming home from school, like hysterically crying and in tears, telling my mother uh, that everybody's talking about me, nobody likes me, you know, and I mean, really, really, really upset about it. And it felt very real. And I remember my mother saying, what is wrong? Like, that is, that's the craziest thing. Like, you just had 10 girls over here for your birthday party. Like, what are you talking about? This is not, you know, um, but I remember that it really affected me. I really had started having a lot of problems in school um, because just paranoia and anxiety. And I'm a little kid, you know, you don't know how to deal with any of that or even what it is while it's happening. Um, and that kind of persisted on through fifth and sixth grade. Um, and did, and did you see, or did your family seek any sort of medical help at this point? My mother uh, started taking me to doctors because she, I think she started to realize that this is, you know, what is wrong with this child? Like this is, you know, this is a little, this is a 10 year old, you know, that's, you know, starting to just having a lot of problems that seem to come out of nowhere. So yeah, they did take me to doctors and I don't remember specifically, but I'm pretty sure that they, they tried to put me on medication that I just was not having. I mean, I don't know many little kids that want to take a pill all the time. Uh, and I certainly was one of those. So, uh, I just remember it getting worse and worse and worse. Um, just depression, anxiety, just all these sorts of things that, you know, grown adults don't have a very good capacity to deal with without help. Uh, and especially when you're a little kid, I mean, that's, that's really devastating. Uh, and around 13, um, I ended up in the hospital uh, over a suicide attempt, um, which oh, wow. scared, yeah. So you, you tried to take your own life at 13? I did. Yeah. I, uh, I don't remember what I took. I think it was aspirin, but I think I downed a whole bottle of aspirin because I was just, I mean, I don't remember exactly what was going on, but you don't, you don't do things like that unless you're in a level of pain that you don't see any way out of. And if you look back now, um, do you think there was anything that had happened and that your mind was shutting off or was it just something that, that, that is unexplainable at the moment? I, I just really think it all comes down to mental illness. I, I don't, there was nothing going on in my life. Like I said, you know, a lot of this was hard to deal with. Um, I do remember feeling guilty in a way that I was so depressed and troubled and having all these issues and I had no real reason to. Um, like, you know, there's so many people that have it so much worse than me, like poor, you know, poor little spoiled girl, like how, you know, it's, again, it's something that's hard for anybody to deal with, but especially when you're that age, you don't have any frame of reference, you don't have any coping mechanisms at all. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's a pretty young age to, to deal with something so serious. So at that point, so you've just tried to take your own life, you're 13. Um, what, what were your parents or what did they do? Was that, was there a next step? Did they, did they, well, they'd already seek med medical advice, I guess. Well, um, obviously this terrified them. Uh, to be fair, if I were in their position, it would have scared me too. Mm -hmm. And I think it scared them so much that they, I think they realized at that point that they, I don't know what they realized. I think, I, I think that they were so scared that, that they didn't want to lean on their own understanding. And I think that they knew that they didn't know what to do here. So without me knowing about it, they went looking for I suppose, more intensive forms of help. You know, they always tried to help me, which is, it's not like I suffered in silence. I was just, you know, I rejected a lot of the help. I think part of it's because I was a kid and part of it's because, you know, I was embarrassed and part of it was, I mean, there were a lot of things going on, but they found um, a school in Jamaica 
I think that was the start of, you know, a lot of difficult things that were to come, you know, just being abandoned in the third world country when you're very young. How did it make you feel when you, when you were, obviously you're young, your parents have left you and albeit a beautiful resort, but you're there on your own. And, you know, you've, you've been at the point previously of, of, of trying to take your own life. How did you cope? Um, I, I think that, you know, our bodies and brains are sort of miraculous, you know, they'll, when faced with trauma, they'll do all sorts of things that are maybe not great for continued survival, but they're great for adapting to the moment and to helping you get through things that are less than ideal. Um, I think I tried to, I think I tried to commit suicide again once he left, I mean, within the first week, because I mean, you're, you're essentially, you know, like the mad part of me, you know, still, still can't believe that they did this sometimes, but you know, you've abandoned a mentally ill child in a third world country with no support and no parents. Like, what do you expect is going to happen? Um, And I was punished for that. This place was just Sorry, what did the teachers do um, when you tried to, to take your life again? Well, so the teachers were separate from the staff, but uh, the staff, well, first of all, the staff was not qualified to be there. They were all local teenagers, probably getting minimum wage to work in what's supposed to be a medical facility. Um, but I mean, to be fair, it's not like they were bad people. They just, they weren't qualified for these jobs at all. And they did the best that they could with what they had. But, um, you know, physical punishment was the norm at this place. You know, there were five different categories of rule infractions, cat one, two, three, four, and five. Uh, and based on the rule, you know, and the category the rule was in that you broke, there were different levels of punishment for that, you know, and, and self-harm or self-injury or even attempts at such uh, were, cat, were category five. And, and the, the punishment for that was severe. They would put you face down on a tile floor while somebody watched you 24 hours a day for weeks at a time. How did you, how did you get out of that, that situation or out of Jamaica? So we were allowed to write letters home once a week, every Sunday that was like scheduled into the daily schedule was letter writing. Um, and obviously, I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I mean, I told my family exactly what was going on and I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. Whatever I did, you know, just which didn't do anything. I was sick and having problems. Um, But, uh, you know, just please just take me home. Like, this is so horrible. Why are you doing this to me? But the staff would tell our families, you know, they're bad kids. That's why you sent them here. They're lying. So don't listen to them, which was taken and which was very much listened to. So if we fast forward to when you actually left Jamaica, how did that experience affect um, your life going forward? I don't think I've ever thought about it concretely before, but um, I think, you know, good and bad things happen with anything. Um, It taught me some good things. Uh, One is that you, you, you know, you're all you have, and which isn't totally true, but it's not a terrible way to look at the world. Um, you know, you should always learn how to rely on yourself instead of others. But, but it taught me, uh, it, it taught me grit. It taught me resilience. It taught me um, this too shall pass no matter how bad it is or what it is. Um, but when I left, you know, I, I, I remember 
I remember no one really acknowledging that anybody had done anything wrong except for me. And if I hadn't have done X, Y, and Z, this would never have happened, which I think is an awful thing to tell someone either directly or indirectly. It was indirect, but it was the message that I got. Um, but it affected the rest of, you know, the rest of my, my, my school years for sure. Um, I wanted, I, I don't think it was conscious at the time, but, uh, the fact that I never got an I'm sorry and we were wrong and we should never have done that. I think that really affected me and was just like, well, then F you. And that was very much, I think the, I think the theme of the rest of my teenage years was F you. The next part of the story, as far as, you know, after F this to high school, F this to college, F this to everybody around me in the universe and all the stuff that hurt me and poor me and all this stuff that you get trapped in when you're, you know, still spiritually sick, I think in some way. Um, I, uh, so I left college, things didn't get better. They got worse as could be expected as far as just drinking and poor me and all that stuff. Uh, and I got into a situation where, um, where I ended up in prison, um, for a, for a, for a DWI, a third one. I think what's a, a DWI? Sorry. Driving while intoxicated. Okay. Okay. So, so the first two in Texas, the first two are misdemeanors. Uh, the third one's a felony and, and it should be that way. Um, it's, that's a horrible thing. No one should do it. I'm genuinely every day. I thank God that I never hurt anybody. Um, you know, I never consciously made the decision to do that. I was just drinking myself to death and, and, you know, did things that I didn't remember later. So, um, but I ended up, in TDCJ, which is the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, which is prison essentially in Texas, which is not fun. It's one of the worst places you can end. I've watched enough Hollywood films, and I'm sure they probably make it look a lot worse. But uh, I mean, what what was prison life like? It's absolute hell on earth. I mean, it is. It's hell on earth. Um, and in Texas, you know, we have the kinds of summers that I was talking to you about before the show, uh, where it, I mean. Just drive, just walking from the grocery store back to your car, your life will flash in front of your eyes. Like, oh my gosh, it's so hot here. Um, we lived in metal buildings with no air conditioning all summer. So there are days where you're just laying down, trying your hardest just to get through one minute at a time because you're, and because it's so miserable and you're so hot and it's so loud and it's so dirty. And it's so, I mean, and just the atmosphere is just, anger and despair and just there's there's no other place like prison on earth it is it is a pit of despair what kept you going and what kept you through that because because you survived it and you came out the other end I don't know where I got this sense of grit from and that's kind of why I said earlier um you know the Jamaica thing was a terrible thing um, but I also think it instilled some things in me that have lasted to this day that have served me well. And one of them is this too shall pass no matter what it is. And everybody, no matter how rich or poor or anything else you are, has peaks and valleys in life. And you have to be able to remind yourself during the valleys that this will pass. And I think, you know, I developed a capacity for self-reflection early too. And I think I, um, you know, when I got there, it, when I got to the, when I got to prison, it was it was really a, a life saving thing. I was drinking myself to death. I mean, it was to the point where I was shaking if I if I didn't drink. It, you know, I was drinking early in the morning. Um, I did not have the capacity to stop. 
And anybody that's ever been through addiction can probably has probably, you know, and come out the other side, especially can really attest to that. Uh, you know, that's, that's a really scary spot to be in where you know that you have a serious problem and that you need to stop and you can't. I mean, that's a really bad place to get to. Do you think, and I, and I think I'm paraphrasing this, but you just mentioned it. So am I right in saying you think prison saved you or that experience? Absolutely. It did. I, I tell people, you know, I, I don't talk to this, talk to me. I've not talked to many people about this in the past, uh, but I, you know, the people that I have, I tell them, you know, you couldn't pay me any amount of money to do it again. You couldn't pay me $50 million to do it again. It really was that bad, but it really was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It got me sober. It saved my life. Every ounce of humility that I needed to just strike me in the heart developed there. I had the most profound spiritual experiences of my life. I mean, on a regular basis while I was there. Wow. Can you talk about any of them or is there any, any that, that you want to share? Um, you know, at the risk of sounding silly, I, you know, I don't really care if I do or not. It was real. It was real to me. Um, you know, I had moments. If you talk to really spiritual people, I think a lot of them will tell you that God meets you, meets people in very low places. Mm -hmm. I really believe that places where you feel like you're irredeemable, like you've screwed up too, too much to ever have any hope or for anything to ever care about you or forgive you or show you mercy. That's where God lives. Um, because you have to, something has to happen in your life to get your own ego out of the way in order for something higher than you to come in. And I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly religious, but I am very spiritual. I know that God is real. Something scraped my sorry ass off of the sidewalk and turned me into what I am today. Um, and that's where it happened was when I was a hopeless drunk in in jail because of my own doing uh, and something came and just renewed and transformed me. Liz, you, so you went through that situation, you came out the other side. How, how did you sort of rebuild your life? What did you turn to? Because you, you became a very successful um, fitness model. Yes. I, so when I, when I left, um, I lived with my family and I, I came out of that situation, a very different person, sober, humbled, you know, very much driven by the spirit, by something bigger than me and knowing that, you know, how dare I waste all this potential that I was given, you know, um, I, I just set about trying to make things right. You can't change the past. All you can learn from is, you know, all you can do is learn from it and move forward. So, uh, so that's what I did. I remember coming out and having these grand dreams and plans and knowings about what I was capable of and what I wanted the future to hold. And I really didn't see any reason why it couldn't happen. And I intended to make it happen. I didn't know how I was going to make it happen, but I believed very much that these things that were put on my heart would happen. Um, so I lived with family. I was lucky to have, you know, not very much overhead. I had a car insurance payment I had to make, but my, you know, my parents were nice enough not to charge me rent. Uh, and I lived in a little bedroom and started getting on um, modeling network sites like Model Mayhem, I think is still around. It was real different when I was doing it, but I started getting on these networking. Like I realized, I think early on, I'm not sure how, but I grew up, you know, the first part of my life was spent in a world without the internet. Yeah, um, I remember those days. <laughs> so 
so when the internet came around, like <laughs> I remember, I remember having dial up at my friend's house when I was in like eighth grade and just thinking, man, this is going to change the world. Like I can talk to people like where, like, that's amazing. Was it always your dream to be the, on the cover of a magazine? Is that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I originally got into the modeling stuff again because you know, my plan and I made good on the plan, which was amazing. Like this showed me, well, this, this particular thing showed me that I, I could do anything that I dreamed of doing. Uh, and that was in my head. None of it was, you know, none of it was beyond my grasp. Um, I originally got into the modeling stuff because I, I liked art. I was good at it. Um, and I needed a way to make income, um, so that I could save for, you know, I always intended to get into real estate investing, but you need cash to do that. You know, you need, quite a bit of money. You need a good credit score. Um, and you need, um, you know, you need money to get started. And so that was, that was the plan that I had to get started was, you know, go around. Um, and I got to travel all sorts of places around the country. I was, you know, these networking sites were great. I just, I, I don't know what it was about just remembering that, man, I don't, it doesn't matter where I live. The internet can make, I can use that to become anything I want. And I was right. You know, it's the networking opportunities that are available from being able to reach people anywhere you want to are just amazing. But, um, you know, I, I did that for you know, the modeling thing, just freelance uh, for a couple of years and saved money and eventually got into real estate investing. Um, I was, I got involved in the Houston area. Now the Houston area is crazy. Like you have to, you have to have cash to buy anything or you'll get outbid by someone that does. And it's a lot more competitive than it was when I got involved in it, but I was able to leverage up into a pretty impressive portfolio. And, um, you know, it only took me about five years to get to that point. And I was like, man, you know, I've been wasting so much time. I was like, you know, I really am resourceful. I really do have a grasp on how to get things done. Like maybe, you know, maybe I'm not the failure that I always told myself I was at one point. I don't think that's true. I think that happened because of drinking and all these other things that I shouldn't have been doing in the first place. I, don't, I certainly don't think you're a failure. I mean, you, you, you came out with prison with pretty much nothing. Um, not, no, nothing. Uh, not pretty much, with nothing. It turned your life around into becoming a a very successful model and let's let's not underestimate this not many models end up on um, FHM magazine as well as other magazines that you've done I mean that I think one of the massive international ones that, that we all know so you you you're very successful in modeling and you're also a very successful businesswoman what do you think was that um x factor that you've got inside of you that 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 maybe you want to be different, I guess. You know, I, I think that just because this is, this is just my best guess. I think that because of everything I've been through, it started when I was so young that I think I just developed, I mean, I've always been a really fierce individualist. I don't feel, you know, it's good to, it's good to take cues from your parents and society and friends and stuff. There's a lot of cues about maybe a good way to spend your life or direct your path or whatever, but you're not bound to that by any stretch of the imagination. No one is. Um, and I think just because things in my life went so differently from most people, um, starting from the very beginning of my formative years, I think that maybe in my brain somewhere, I just got this idea that I think it really solidified the idea that your life is yours. It, it, it you know, you're responsible for its success or failure at the end of the day. And there's no way that you quote unquote have to do anything. Um, you know, 
be intentional, be purposeful about, you know, your actions um, and your plans and, you know, be mindful of what you're doing, but, you know, it's yours. Do what makes you happy. What gets you up in the morning today, Elizabeth? What really drives you today? Honestly, well, a lot of things, but I think more than anything, the thing that we're talking about today, um, it does not matter what you think of yourself. It, it matter. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think about your situation. Your situation is not hopeless, no matter what it is. Like, look at every, look at everything. I, I, I had a horror show for, for, you know, for about the first 15, 20 years of my life. Um, and I have an amazing life today because I decided that that didn't have to be the end of my story. And I do realize um, that I've got something that a lot of people don't have as far as self-motivation or just whatever it is that causes me to be able to go on these, these crazy jaunts towards whatever I feel like I wanna do uh, and be successful at it. But maybe there's, but I feel like there's a calling to try to, to try to share that with people. Like, you know, you don't need to be ashamed of who you are. You know, I could be ashamed of, you know, the, you know, the, the depression and anxiety and problems that I was having that landed me in, in the hospital in Jamaica when I was younger. I could be embarrassed about the fact that I am a hopeless alcoholic who I, I celebrated 10 years of sobriety this, this past November. Yeah. And it, it, it landed me in, you know, my bottom was jail. You know, some people's bottom's death. I'm glad that wasn't mine. What tools and techniques do you use um, now to help you succeed in, in your everyday? Is there any advice that you give people that maybe are not having a good day? And, and you say, well, try these techniques. This might help. Um, another cliche that is cliche for a reason and gets said a lot for a reason is it feels better to give things away than it does to accumulate things for yourself. So in other words, you know, if you're having, if you're all up in your own, let me speak for myself. If I'm all up in my own head and throwing myself a pity party for some reason, or upset about something that's stupid, because anything I get upset about these days is stupid. Um, <laughs> you know, get out of yourself and go do something nice for someone else. It can be something as big as volunteering somewhere. It can be something as small as being kind to a cashier at the store. You know, it do something nice for somebody else. Um, get outside of yourself. Uh, you know, I am a big fan, I think because of recovery of developing, uh, some sort of a relationship or understanding of something that's higher than you. Another good thing that recovery taught me is soft peddling that idea, like not cramming the idea of God or religion down people's throats. It's not what it is. It's, there's something profound that happens to the human soul and the human brain when you get over yourself, I suppose is the, is the best way of putting it. Before we um, wrap up, I just, I do wanna talk a little bit about Brothers in Arms as well. And, you know, Brothers in Arms, they, um, they help with people that have been through trauma, veterans, for, um, uh, people on the front line. What is it that really resonated with you that, that you loved about the brand? So, you know, our, our meeting was actually by chance. Uh, I met them forever ago on Instagram. I don't even remember how, but um, it was uh, 
Mervin, who's, you know, my partner now, uh, and another gentleman who's no longer with the company, but they were, I think, just firing things up and they sent me um, like some samples in the mail and I just got bitten by a bug. I'm like, you know what? I was like, I, I just felt like I was being nudged into a direction with this. That's another reason I say, like, try to get in touch with something bigger than yourself. It's very quiet, but it will speak to you, like, and, and push you in the right directions and push you out of the wrong directions in life if you're in tune with it. But um, I, I just really, you know, wanted to get involved with this because I've been taking, you know, I take... Um, you know, my mental situation is, is totally straightened out. That's the beautiful thing about modern medicine. You know, we should be grateful that we have it. 80 years ago, they used to throw people in mental hospitals for postpartum depression. I mean, things that are very treatable and common these days. Um, you know, you don't have to live to live like that. So um, in addition to the one prescription I take, that's all I take is one. And it's totally changed my life because I take CBD with it. Um, so CBD has been changing my life for a long time and I really like it. Difference, sorry, that you saw with taking the CBD um, rather than not taking it. It I, So the best way I can describe it is that it just puts your whole body into symphony. It It's subtle, like the mechanism of it is subtle, but it's dramatic. Um, I don't take it for pain. I know lots of people that do and love it, love it, love it. My mother takes it for pain, but I take it mostly for mental issues. Um, it just irons everything out. It, it, you're not I'm trying to think of that. That's really the best way I can articulate it. It irons everything out. You're just, everything flows much better. You're, you're so much, you're not high. It's, it doesn't get you high. Oh, no. You're just, excuse me. You're just calmer. Everything is calmer, works together better, works together more fluidly your days just go better. I, I, I mean, that's really kind of the best way I can describe it. Anybody that's used it can, can attest to probably about the same kind of a feeling. Wow. Um, and, it, and, and it sounds so much, I mean, better is, is the wrong word, but you know, too often, I don't know about there in the States, but certainly here, the doctors prescribe drugs at the drop of a hat. Um, sometimes, yeah. you know, they, they don't explore the more holistic approaches to, to medicine it's it's uh well try this drug <laughs> well yeah. well actually maybe you could try other other alternative things such as cbd such as changing your diet or you know turning to fitness or other things as well yeah well i mean it's it's no different in the states they they have a pill for everything and i've been on half of them at some point in my life and i know from firsthand experience that i am not against modern medicine at all like not one bit i am against big pharma in its current state because i really do i, I don't feel i know that they put profits ahead of anything else um it doesn't mean that they're they're giving you poison it just means that you know you want to in my personal opinion, I feel very strongly about the fact that you should be the captain of your own ship as far as this stuff is concerned. You really should look for more, for less rather than more. Um, and, you know, adding CBD to, I am almost, this is just an opinion. So let me just give that disclaimer up front, but I'm almost of the opinion. I really am of the opinion that you should give CBD or more natural, especially CBD, but more natural things, uh, an opportunity to work for you first. It doesn't mean that you don't add something. If you need it, I needed to add something, but I added one thing. My mother, I adore her, but she takes, I don't even know how many pills she takes every day. And I'm like, wow, I don't want that to be me. Yeah. Um, that's just, you know, so 
the one thing that I take that's been around for decades, the, the reason my doctor gave it to me is because it's been around since the 50s and they know how it works. They know it's safe. They know, you know, it's an old school drug. It's not one of these, you know, big pharma new things, which I really don't trust and don't like. Um, but that plus CBD is every, I mean, it has absolutely changed my life. I've never felt better in my whole life than I do these days. Well, it, it, you're walking um, advert for it because you look amazing and everything that you've been saying today. I mean, it's inspired me. Um, what do you want women to learn from your story? And sorry, it may not be women. It could be men as well. But I, I guess um, certainly you're an inspiration for me. And I think a lot of women that are watching this would, would look it up and think, wow, amazing, amazing story. You know what? Well, I think the overall, that's why I wanted to share my story with you. Um, you know, it's not something I usually talk about. I think for obvious reasons, um, I'm not ashamed of anything, um, but people that don't know you can be judgmental. And so I don't, you know, I just don't usually share this with people. It's on a need to know basis, but I wanted to talk about it today because I really felt like it was integral to the reason I got involved with brothers in arms. You know, it's, that's one reason I love veterans. These people are just you know, they're brave and they're, they do things that other people won't do. And, you know, they inflict a lot of wounds, physical and mental because of this sometimes. And it doesn't have to be the end. It's not the end. Like you can find so much wisdom from your pain and your wounds. If you choose to, it's a choice, just like happiness is a choice a lot of the time, but, but you really can. I have, because I contextualized it in that way. You know, I, you, I can't change the past but I can learn things from it and I can, and I have, like, I can't even imagine the kind of person that I would be if I didn't learn all the lessons that I learned from pain. Pain is a great teacher. Elizabeth, I've been fascinated by this conversation, but I've come to my last question. I, I feel like we could talk um, forever. Um, but that is, if you were to write a message in a bottle uh, for future generations to find, what would the message be? Don't let the world break you. You can and you will. I love it. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. It's been great. Thanks so much for having me. You've been great to talk to. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like, and you'll get it straight into your inbox.